Hello, good evening and welcome to the third, or is it maybe fourth? This is the fourth episode of Straight Talking English. My name's Catherine, I'm a qualified English teacher and I'll be taking you through the AQA anthology of poetry and the set text in a most unteacherly way. Well, so far I've only focused on the power and conflict cluster and I'm getting a little bit bored of all that warfare. So let's take a look at something from the Love and Relationships cluster. We have got the first one in the cluster, Love's Philosophy by Percy Bysshe Shelley. He's already come up as the writer of Ozymandias and we know that he's a romantic poet, the kind of poet who's involved in this movement against industrialization, against cities, very much pro-nature, very spiritual, doing their own thing. Shelley was very much into doing his own thing, but the kind of doing his own thing that leads to big trouble. Phone calls home, meeting with parents, probably writing an apology letter, to be honest. He was a bit of a player. He had very scandalous relationships, even by modern standards, pretty scandalous. He settled down eventually to marry Mary Shelley, who is the author of Frankenstein, and his bestie is Lord Byron, who is going to come up later in our anthology. The most important thing in terms of the context that you're going to need to know is that Percy Shelley is an atheist. He does not believe in any kind of divine power. And he was living in an age when most people, if not everyone, was having some kind of religious practice. The predominant faith in the UK was Anglican, Church of England. So to have someone who's openly saying, I do not believe in God, rather than just being an unobservant Christian is it's scandalous it's shocking and in fact poor old Shelley was kicked out of uni for having these beliefs he got kicked out of Oxford like that's just tough poor guy we've got a whole new set of links to make for the love and relationships cluster. Generally, the question will be, what type of love? What type of relationship? Have we got protective love? Have we got obsessive love? Like romantic, physical, family love? But to be fair, last time I said that to a student, they got the giggles. I'm not talking, not talking Game of Thrones here, people. I mean platonic, fraternal love. This one is definitely romantic and it's up to you whether you think it's lovely or it's a bit creepy. Entirely depends on the tone of voice of the reader. The whole setup is this young man is pleading this young lady give in to her physical feelings and have a kiss. It is from the man's viewpoint directly addressed to the lady but with direct address is it implicitly directed at us? Are we having our thoughts provoked? Either if you are attracted to the female character, I should do this, or if you are the if you feel that you relate more to the character who's being pursued, or maybe there's someone I should give a chance to. We've got two very regular stanzas. We have a 
very regular rhyme scheme. River, ever, ocean, emotion, single, mingle, divine and thine. It's a nice little rhyme scheme, isn't it? A, B, A, B. When there's a couplet, which in a rhyme scheme would look like A, A, B, B, this usually represents a couple. The clue is in the name. And the reason that we can notice this is in Romeo and Juliet, arguably one of the most romantic plays in the world, they always talk in couplets to each other. We've got two things next to each other. But because these couplets are not together, because they are split by the ABAB, it's almost like they're a couple, but something's come between them. Whoa! The language is really childish. It's It's got this immature quality. It could either be this really like simplistic single-mindedness. I love you, you love me, that's all that matters. Or it could be attempting to portray a really youthful tone. Again, these echoes of Romeo and Juliet of love become as love matches being natural between young people. First stanza, I really like it. He's got this almost mathematical logic to why she should kiss him. And okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him this one because he has really thought about it. Fountains mingle with the river, rivers mingle with the ocean. Everything there's nothing in the world is single. So if you can see mountains and you can see rivers and you know that everything has a partner, why are you not kissing me? Okay, okay, that's that solid-ish. <laughs> this is clearly persuasive tone. It's very single-minded. But it's interesting because we've got this field of religion, this imagery coming in. And as I mentioned, he is an atheist. He's not someone who genuinely believes in a law divine. So why do that? Well, I've got a couple of ideas. It might be representing morality. So rather than strictly divine meaning God, it could be divine meaning moral, as in like Ten Commandments message is sent from God. That makes sense in terms of his argument. It is the morally correct thing to do to be with me. Again, fairly sketchy, but we've got to, we've got to go with it. It could be that he's not serious. He could be sarcastic. He could be making jokes. Well, you know, it's the moral thing. It's what God wants. This like almost mocking, playful tone of voice. Or, as I said, is it cute or is it creepy? He, this character, could be manipulating the female character. Shelley could have presented this as a man saying absolutely anything to get the girl where he wants her. There isn't a single woman who this is directed to as far as I know. It's not like Sonnet 29 where we know 100% who it's written about. But it's still quite lovable. Another way of seeing this is within a medieval tradition. So it keeps coming up again in both halves of the anthology. Poets in the long 18th century who are using deliberately medieval terms of phrase, imagery, um, Shakespearean illusions to make whatever they're talking about seem mythical and noble and worthy of retelling. It's, I could argue this, and I'm going to, if you disagree with me, feel free to tell me in the comments. But I see this as falling within the tradition of courtly love, C-O-U-R-T-L-Y 
love. So the idea is, in the medieval cult, you'd have the lady, the queen, married to the powerful man. And it was kind of an accepted form of literature and a social politeness if all the other men in the court declared their love for her. It wasn't as in with a serious intention, but, for example, if there was a young man at the court, for whatever reason, you know, visiting someone, he'd be expected to say, like, oh, you are the most beautiful woman in here. And this tradition of, like, exaggerating, praising, but in this really polite, socially constructed way, is what I think is represented here. It's very (laughs) instructive. I don't mean instructive like an Ikea manual, because stanza two, we've got this imperative. See, he's getting a little bit more impatient with her reluctance. She, this character that's built up, is restrained. She is being very, you know, very moral. But he's getting annoyed with it, with this slight volta, this slight twist in the turn. You've got more religious imagery again. He is laying it on thick. But we could argue that the whole sister flower, brother flower thing in the second stanza is a bit of an emotional manipulation. The sisters and brothers were all here together, so why are you rejecting me? We're like family. Again, a contemporary reader would see this in a um, we are the world, all humans are one kind of sense. Um, With the romantics focus on unconventional philosophies, unconventional spiritualities and nature, it would seem like a really beautiful unifying image. Admittedly, whenever I see it, the mixing of the words sister and brother with a romantic poem, romantic with a small r, turns my stomach a little bit. This is another occasion where the reader in 2019 and the reader when this was written, completely different response. It's interesting as well because this is something which has not changed is the use of and. Stanza two, we have the repetition of and, and. Normally repetition is used to highlight the main point, the writer or the speaker's main idea. That's what I call the Donald Trump feature. He is the king of repetition in his speeches. If you have a look at one online or a transcript, he'll only use about five main words repeated. And Shelley has got and, and, and his main idea behind this is not going to be, I like this conjunction. It's symbolising the endless list of reasons why she can't reject it, which is the central message. This is an endless list of reasons about why she should be with him. And the and, and, and is just showing like the volume and sense of being with him. It also links back to this really childish tone. And this, and this, I mean, if you've ever read a story written by a year three. It's basically one long run-on sentence with Anne's and about halfway through marking it I lose the will to live. And it's the same kind of tone. The obvious semantic field that we haven't touched, much like Shelley, is nature. I mentioned it before, Romantic with a capital R is a group of poets obsessed with nature and natural imagery. We could call it a motif, a recurring single image. And the nature 
that he picks is obviously very beautiful. It's obvious that he's comparing their potential relationship with the objects shown. Fountains, river, river, ocean, winds, heaven, mountains, waves. They're very beautiful. They're dramatic. They provoke emotion. It's designed to appeal to this woman but nature in itself is personified we've got this idea that the natural world is pure it's unadulterated by people and their love can have that purity but the other side of the coin is we are all parts of nature natural elements mix humans are designed to mix you get where he's going with this so on one hand it's this beautiful purity on the other it's a little bit gritty bless him we've got the rhetorical question at the end if thou kiss not me what is all this sweet work worth if thou kiss not me again things that don't, that don't really translate sweet work with inverted commas around it is deliberately referring to god's intervention so what is the point of god intervening on earth if it's not for you to be kissing me we know that rhetorical questions are designed to provoke thought from the reader we don't know in this case whether it's designed to provoke thought from the lady who we're assuming was really impressed by Shelley's argument or it's designed to have us thinking about well maybe being in love is the natural order of things it can also have this slight propagandist element he is a romantic with a big r so people reading it who maybe are skeptical of the romantics at the time they were writing would now be thinking oh well maybe there's something to this I mentioned semantic field as well earlier. I forgot to define that. Semantic field just means words about the same thing. So the semantic field of the farm is pig, cow, sheep, barn, farmer, scarecrow. And the semantic field of my bedroom, which I'm in right now, is chest of drawers, bed, light bulb, towel, which I've got hanging over the back of my door. But it's clear the semantic field he's using is natural features, natural landscape features. One more thing to point out before I talk about connections is the thou and the thine. Normally when I ask people why is that in there, the answer will be it's old. Um, This is old. <laughs> it's one of the oldest ones in the collection but this is not how people would speak. We are talking pretty much almost the language of Dickens. So think how people speak in all of a twist and that would probably be the average way of communicating. The these and thous are a nod back to Shakespeare. Like I said, making something seem more epic, mythical, make it seem older. And that's what he's doing. It's another example of biblical language, language used several hundred years before to give things this timeless quality that should be remembered forever. Obviously, we're making connections for power and conflict it will probably be how is conflict between nature how is conflict between soldiers how is conflict in something shown or how is the power between something and something shown love and relationships again you have this really formulaic way of laying out the question how is the love between family members shown in this poem and one other how is the role of nature shown in this poem and one other how is love between how is romantic love shown blah 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 so this one has some natural friends 
If you are looking for ones with natural imagery, think about letters from Yorkshire. Think about how there's this separation, but they're linked by something natural. Think about, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna say desire. Again, trying to keep this as a PC age appropriate podcast. Desire. Think Sonnet 29, this longing to be close. Sonnet 29 has her image of the palm tree, and he's got the image of the waves, the mountains, every other thing he can see apparently to show he wants to be close to her we could have something about people's unrequited love one-sided love the ultimate crush farmer's bride when we two parted yeah absolutely those two definitely definitely work. I, Farmer's Bride is actually a really complicated poem, far more than it seems. I might have to do a bit of a longer podcast on that one, but it will work and we want comparisons which work. Because as I'm recording this, it's the end of January, we're coming up to Valentine's Day, so I'm feeling a little bit romantic with a big R and a small R. So next time I'm going to be talking to you about William Blake and his poem London. As ever if you've got any questions got any comments got any feedback please let me know please subscribe if you can have a lovely time and happy annotating